You're listening to Transparency Talk with Trustwell, a podcast discussing the latest trends in technology in the food and supplement industries, featuring conversations with regulatory experts, quality and safety champions, and thought leaders across the industry. The podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome to today's episode of Transparency Talk with Trustwell. I'm your host, Katie Jones, Chief Customer Officer here at Trustwell. If you're in the food industry, which you most likely are if you're listening, you're no doubt aware of the critical role that regulations play in ensuring the safety, quality, and accuracy of the food products we produce and sell. And clearly in recent years, there have been significant updates to regulations related to food labeling, nutrition, food safety, and traceability in the food industry. These changes have impacted everyone from food manufacturers to distributors, retailers, and clearly to the end consumer. In today's episode of Transparency Talk, we're continuing our regulatory roundup series where we will explore the latest updates to regulations. Joined today by Megan Murphy, one of our labeling and regulatory consultants here at Trustwell. Prior to joining Trustwell, Megan was manager of nutrition database and labeling on the McDonald's nutrition team. Megan also has served in nutrition roles at McNeil Hospital and Bally Total Fitness. A registered and licensed dietitian, Megan completed a combined didactic internship and a master's in public health at Benedictine University. She completed the didactic program in dietetics at Loyola University, Chicago, and she holds a BA from the University of Illinois. Welcome back to the podcast, Megan. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you for having me. All right. So lots of movement. Um, We're going to drill in on one particular topic that's obviously uh, near and dear to many of our customers, especially our Genesis customers, on just menu labeling regulations. So can you give us kind of take a step back and provide just an overview of the FDA's menu labeling regulations and the significance that they have specifically in the food service or the restaurant industry um, for our, you know, multi-chain restaurants and retail food establishments that are listening. Absolutely. So the menu labeling regulations became law under the Affordable Care Act and the compliance date was May of 2018. So we've had those rules in for a few years now. And as part of the regulations, establishments with 20 or more fixed locations are required to publish calories on restaurant menus, menu boards, or online at point of selection or point of purchase. And so when you think of, you know, there's a wide range of establishments that are required to post this information more than restaurants, if you think about it. Um, You know, your traditional quick serve and sit down restaurants, but it does include grocery and convenience stores, Mm -hmm. cafeterias, and, and other establishments that offer restaurant type foods and that could include grab and go food so it's it's pretty broad in a way um but um and not only are the establishments required to provide calories at the point of selection but there's a few other requirements they need to print certain uh, statements on those menu boards or, or on those menus and you know there's some calorie statements there's a statement that um says that they'll provide additional nutritional information on demand. So there's a few more uh, topics in that uh, in the regulations. And one of the things that they have to provide is if someone goes into, say, a restaurant and says, okay, I see the calories, but I would like additional nutrition information. And there is a list 
of nutrients that are required. And it actually follows the original nutrition fact panel that was published in 1990, not the new one. So there's a little bit of differences yeah. as um, per the requirements, but um, in the guidance documents that have, come, have been published since, they did clarify um, some of those details. But anyway, um, you know, if someone goes in and says, I'd like to know information on the fat content, sodium content, and so on, they either have to provide it, you know, a printed uh, copy of that, or they can show that online uh, and show the inf uh, that information. So if you can imagine, that was a big change for the industry because um, it, you know, restaurants weren't required to provide information like that. Now, there were some companies that had been doing it for years, um, so they were in a, a better place, but they needed to, to figure out their protocol of what was required and then plan how they're going to execute that information. You know, print menus had to be updated if, if companies or restaurants had menu boards. Um, they had to establish the cadence of getting those printed, getting those sent, having the date set. Um, and in some cases, you know, a lot of those menu boards were switched out based on, you know, marketing timelines and seasons and so on. So it it did take some time to pull all that in and, and, and um, get all that information organized. And as mentioned um, regarding guidance documents, there were a lot of questions and in, in regarding that, you know, what was required? Because if you think about it, a, a, a restaurant that serves pizza, there could be infinite um, uh, variations as far as what what someone could choose to put on a pizza. So some of that information was clarified by the FDA of how do we best um, show the information and calculate all that information for menu boards. Hmm. So I remember this. I remember going into, um, you know, you mentioned restaurants started to do this, right? And I think maybe some that were, um, you know, maybe more, you know, health-ish focused or, you know, nutrition focused, um, right? Started doing this and touting it kind of in a marketing and then a marketing way, right? And then you saw, you know, obviously then all of the restaurants having to, whether or not to your point, it's, you know, physically right out in front of you um, or at request of the consumer, right? Um, this clearly had a pretty, as you mentioned, a pretty significant impact. What, from your perspective, were the greatest challenges that restaurants faced when complying with this menu labeling regulations? Like what are, what's the biggest challenge do you feel like that they, uh, that they struggle with today? The biggest challenge um, that I could say would be managing the updates. Yeah. So sometimes you may not think about it, but there could be changes in suppliers. There could be changes in internal, you know, reformulation um, tactics. So, for example, if if there's an there's a you know, a company has a change in their cup size or they switch out a mayonnaise supplier, that could impact your final nutrition. And written in the regulations, as far as the FDA was concerned, if you have, a, a, let's say, inaccurate calorie or, or outdated, let's say, calorie number, they could consider that misbranded, just like uh -huh. with packaged foods. If they find something what they consider is outdated or inaccurate, it's considered misbranded. It could be in violation of federal law. You, they could levy some fines or violations. So 
if it was very complicated because again, you know, around the time when that first started, there were some companies that were reducing sodium in certain, uh, you know, in ketchup or certain other ingredients. And in some cases they would try to roll in different reformulations and then ultimately Mm. your final sandwich could have different calories. And if you think about the cost again, like printing menus, if you think about the, the menu board switch outs, and I mentioned, you know, sometimes they switched out those physical menu boards depending on seasons or, or different marketing Mm -hmm. timelines. And it was expensive to print and ship, you know, if you have more than 10,000 locations. So I, th- I I think the biggest thing was was managing those updates. And, and, you know, I think at that time there were some questions posed back to the FDA and they said, well, you know, um, you could you find a way, you know, like they do with packaging, put a sticker on it or, or some mm-hmm. means of updating. So I think that's still, I think that's still valid um, in the, in the industry to, to handle those those regulate regulatory needs. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, right, LTOs are, can be, you know, really great money makers for, for restaurants, right? They drive traffic and some you see have the same ones every year, right? These season seasonal. So, um, but the impact clearly that that has, right? Updating that menu and making sure that that information is available. You've got to think that there's some, technologies that can be applied to this, right? So as this regulation has, you know, continued in the industry, are you seeing any kind of emerging trends or technologies that uh, that are helping with compliance um, in this way? So the digital world is definitely helping restaurants and especially those restaurants that have, you know, uh, ordering uh, through drive-through or if they have menu boards, Uh, in the restaurant where you're ordering from a menu board. Um, And that sort of technology was emerging anyway, it seems around the time. Um, And I think it helps, it's helping save the cost of printing and shipping, as well as the time and preparation it would take to switch those menus out. Um, They still, you know, would need to establish a cadence of how they're managing those sorts of updates and to make sure it's consistent with, you know, any calorie updates. But then um, we're noticing that in some cases, the digital platform could complicate certain things. You know, as mentioned before, um, the regulations require that calories be shown at point of selection or point of purchase, and that includes online. and we're finding that some third-party delivery services are not posting mm-hmm. that information consistently. And that's because it hasn't been fully clear, you know, what the requirements are. At one time, the FDA did say that they're not required to post that information. But um, there was a recent study um, from Tufts and then cert- some articles that have been um, published recently that's, you know, that have said that in some cases, restaurants are in control of what's posted on those third plat- party platforms. And then it could be argued that they would be required to provide that information. Um, now, we're, we're looking to see if if they'll clarify that information. Um, not that long ago, the FDA had posted that 
they're going to publish an updated guidance document on the menu labeling regulations. And they haven't stated what, you know, haven't clarified what will be in that guidance document. But I'm curious to see if this would be a topic that is covered, especially with some of the media attention um, that has been put, you know, in place re recently. Well, it'll be very interesting to see that guidance document come out and obviously how those third party delivery services uh, respond. So what's the what's the consequence? <laughs> so if there if there's not, you know, noncompliance, um, what are what are restaurants facing um, if the F FDA comes in? Yeah, so they could be called out of compliance. It could be considered that their items would be misbranded by the FDA. It could be considered a violation of federal law. And then mm. it's to their discretion to levy, you know, fines or criminal penalties mm. uh, with that. And that's a financial impact, but that's also a brand impact because, you know, when things like that happen, um, it can become, it can become news. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's shift topics now to something that I think I'm seeing uh, all over, uh, you know, obviously within the uh, the food industry and the regulatory space, but in, you know, social media and just consumers talking about uh, added sugar. So it's, you know, since, you know, having to, to pull that out, lots of attention around this area and specifically, you know, how that added sugar on you know food and beverage products are labeled. Uh, can you give us a you know give us the landscape of the current regs and requirements for added sugar? Yes. Yeah, so um, added sugar was not previously required to be listed on a nutrition facts panel back when the regulations were published in 1990. Um, but as far as the new label, which was published in 2016. That was a new requirement. It's a mandatory nutrient. And for the first time, the FDA actually uh, published a definition of added sugar. Uh, so they consider added sugars, you know, white sugar, brown sugar, honeys and syrups. And also um, they're considering added sugar, anything above and beyond what would normally be in an item. So for example, if you have 100% juice, they consider that sugar amount naturally occurring right. but if you concentrated that juice then anything above that would be added sugar so uh, it's not fully straightforward um it does take some calculations for manufacturers and producers to determine what's considered naturally occurring and what is considered accurate so it, again this is was new to the industry and something that um would was required to uh for industries to make some updates in their in their data and in their nutrition fact panels. Hmm. So it's interesting because you're seeing this, you know, I think not just with added sugars, obviously, but you know, whether it's protein or fiber, there are these kind of, you know, hot, hot topics with consumers that are trying to um, you know, adjust their own nutrition and, you know, how food companies are taking you know taking advantage right of, of what's going on not just from a regulatory standpoint but obviously also to get you know a greater amount of wallet share from from consumers so with this growing trend specifically of this reducing added sugars in in food and beverage products what challenges do food manufacturers face when they're trying to you know maintain 
uh, you know, sweetness and taste, right, while also reducing sugar content. Yes, reformulation can be a balancing act. And as you mentioned, they're, you know, they're trying to balance taste. And sometimes that taste could be iconic uh, mm-hmm. with ingredients uh, and then with a little perception added in. So if their goal is to reduce sugar content, they have to research, they have to test options, they need to lean on suppliers and, you know, find out what works for them. You know, whether it is a substitution, taking that typical sugar that they're using, and if they they substitute it with something lower, no calorie, it could, you know, just completely change the makeup of the item. Um, and like I said, some some substitutions could impact the perception of the product by a consumer. Some could impact taste. Some could, you know, impact all uh, aspects of an item. So they dedicate a lot of time and research to those sorts of initiatives. And um, it's definitely, you know, something that they need to, to think about and uh dedicate some time to. Uh Lots of testing. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of reformulation, talk to me about the uh, California food safety bill. This is going to have quite a ripple in the industry um, and uh, with certain uh, ingredients or additives um, that food companies are at least, you know, Uh, you know, in or, you know, uh, selling products in California um, are going to have to to look at how they're going to get these ingredients out. What's the status of this uh, California food safety bill? And, you know, what does that mean for for food manufacturers? So we've been watching this bill for a few months and it has had a few changes. Uh, But most recently, the governor of California signed it into law and the law will go into effect uh, January 1st, 2027, and it could impose fines up to $10,000 for violations if there are products found that have these ingredients. There are four ingredients in this bill that would be prohibited to be sold in food or beverage in the state of California at that time. Uh, brominated vegetable oil, potassium bromate, propylparaben, and red dye number three. There was another ingredient that was removed from the bill, It's and that was called titanium dioxide. And so that one's no longer up as part of it. But, you know, what they need to do is, you know, just like they added sugar, they need to start planning. You know, they do, it seems like a lot of time, 2027, we have, mm-hmm. you know, a few years to go. But you know, they need to start doing their research. Um, it's probably best for them to start assessing their ingredient inventory if they haven't already. And if they have any of those ingredients in some of their current items, um, they'll need to, you know, make a list or, you know, inventory of what those ingredients are used in, and then they need to look for alternatives. And some ingredient suppliers could help with that. I have, um, you know, watched a few different webinars that have from ingredient suppliers that have um, addressed this topic, you know, especially when in terms of the dye, you know, they've they've um, shown, you know, this is the current dye and then, you know, other alternatives. So I think they may have some resources to lean on for that. 
Um, and then they have to, once they have those ingredients lined up, then they need to start planning for all stages of formulation for production and packaging because the packaging component would be important because that would include those labeling updates, you know, removing that ingredient from their ingredient statement and replacing it with, you know, what their substitution is. So they, they really need to, to count back from that uh-huh. requirement date and then start working on um, all of those reformulations. Megan, thank you so much for the insights. And um, like, we've, like we always talk about every time we do this, uh, always, always something to talk about, never a shortage of changes happening and things to monitor and uh, what's going on from a regulatory landscape in the food industry, for sure. I really appreciate you being on the, the podcast again, Megan. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So if you are uh, interested in learning more about added sugars and how to address them, whether it's in uh, the formulation of a new product or the reformulation of an existing product, we are offering a regulatory seminar on added sugars. It'll be a two-hour web-based seminar held on Wednesday, November 29th at 10 a.m. Pacific. We'll include that link in the podcast notes so that you can get registered for that regulatory seminar. Attendees will be eligible for 1.5 CPEUs and will receive a printable certificate of completion once you are done. Like I said, we'll include the link to that registration page in the notes of this podcast. Thank you so much again for tuning into Transparency Talk with Trustwell, where we explore the critical role of transparency and building trust and driving positive change in today's food chain. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Transparency Talk with Trustwell. To learn more about Trustwell and its technology platform that connects product formulation, nutrition analysis, and compliant labeling with traceability, recall readiness, and supply chain transparency, please visit www.trustwell.com.